You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 478, will the new David Bowie movie kill off cinema forever? A guide to tweeting at the BBC and the hidden costs of streaming music. That's all coming up after the kooks and she moves in her own way. So I can show on Monday, I was hoping someday you'd be on your way to better things. It's not about your makeup or how you try to shape up to these tiresome paper dreams. Paper dreams, honey. So now you pour your heart out, you're telling me you're far out Not about to lie down for your cuff But you don't pull my strings, cause I'm a better man Moving on to better things Mindset, tempered furs and spangled boots Looks are deceiving, make me believe it And these tiresome paper dreams Paper dreams, honey, yeah So won't you go far, tell them you're a keeper Not about to lie down for your cause And you don't pull my strings Cause I'm a better man, moving on to better things a chirpy sing-alongy song still at it after 16 years this was one of six singles taken from their debut album inside in inside out number seven in the uk in 2006 the kooks and she moves in her own way i really like that the kooks used to get derided along with lots of other bands as being landfill indie but i think they wrote some very sweet pop songs and that's one of them i i find that entirely inoffensive and it reminds me of uh, being at law college and it felt like being continually hung over for about three months and going to eat breakfast in the greasy spoon down the road at the train station. And there would always be that they seemed to be all over the radio, like you say, with those six singles. And there was, you know, always they always felt to me like they were playing in the background as I was eating bacon with a headache. <laughs> I like them a lot as well. Um, hello and thanks for joining us for the latest instalment from the Parish Council. It's episode 478. I'm Terence Dackham, and let's find out if she's spending Christmas with Victoria Derbyshire. It's Juliet <laughs> Harris. Do you know, somehow my invites got lost in the post again. I'm beginning to think that I don't actually know Victoria Derbyshire oh, and Lord. or she doesn't like me, which is such a pity, really, because I'm sure Christmas in that household would be a delight and a joy. But anyway, hello and good, good morning, afternoon, evening and night to everybody, depending on what's going on. Christmas at, at Victoria Derbyshire's, I, th- I reckon it would be a hoot. I think all the crackers would contain jokes written by refugees. And <laughs> oh, no, don't don't become the woke, please, Terence. Don't 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 go down that road. <laughs> the, the hats made from recycled copies of The Guardian. Oh, and, um, you, know, you, know, you don't know her views, Terence. <laughs> well, I, I figure well, you know, the, the, there'll be no bang when you pull the cracker. Everybody sings the red flag instead. And <laughs> 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 instead of Stop. watching 
Stop! <laughs> well, if you find me, instead of re- um, watching the Queen's speech, Victoria reads a list of all the campaigns she supported throughout the year. So, and, and, and I would be happy to hear it, Darren. So there. <laughs> they don't exchange presents. Every, everybody is asked to reflect <laughs> on the immorality of a commercialised Christmas time. And then finally, there's the ceremonial burning of the Phil Spector Christmas album. That's uh, that's Christmas at Victoria Derbyshire's. I'm just going to respond with silence in the hope that that will finally move you to stop. Christmas dinner is gruel and stale bread. Now, the the other week, um, we, we talked about the decline in cinema audiences and the postponement of the launch of some major movies due to the pandemic. And I felt that cinema going was on the way out anyway. But you made the very valid point that we are losing shared live experiences, which mm. can enhance our enjoyment. So to resolve this, what better than an upcoming potential blockbuster film that will have audiences flowing back to the cinema in their millions? I mean, we've seen major success with Queen and Elton John biopics in the last couple of years. So, Jules, obviously, a biopic of David Bowie is guaranteed to be a major triumph. Well, you'd think, but unfortunately, I regret to inform you that it doesn't look very good. I think it's best summed up. Johnny Flynn, um, an actor who once upon a time musician, actually, I remember him as Johnny Flynn and the Sussex Wit. He's a, he's a fairly local person to me, obviously. Um, he is now sort of moving to acting. He's in various things. And he's playing David Bowie in this in a wig and teeth, which um, someone on Twitter summed it up by saying, ah, I see Nicole Kidman's uglied up to win an Oscar again. I mean, it's it's not, it doesn't look great. It has to be said. Um, I'm very much enjoying the uh, the com. You know, again, a, a, a much diminished organisation, mm. but still going, um, which has a sort of a film arm now as well on the TV, sort of a general entertainment arm. Um, I very much enjoyed the headline, fans react to David Bowie biopic uh, Stardust trailer. Nope, just no. And I like that as the subtitle, maybe we don't love cinema after all. It really doesn't. I really wanted it to be good. Unfortunately, and this is the big key to what makes a biopic work or not, is it official or not? Because if it's unofficial, there's no music. And this is unauthorised biopic with none of the musicians' songs as the family had not granted the filmmakers any rights, in which case... What's the point? I mean, we talked previously, I think, about Rocket Man and how much we, I mean, you enjoyed it with some nuance, and I think I completely enjoyed mm. it. Mm. And because it was based around Elton John's marvelous songs and back catalogue, and I really don't don't see it. Someone, the person that says nope, just no, says you can't have an accent that bad, a film that looks like an American soap opera, and you certainly can't have a Bowie film without his music. Probably shouldn't have bothered guys. And I think that probably sums up where I am really. The whole point of biopics about musicians is celebrating their music as well as them because their music is so intrinsically linked to their their personality to their to their sort of image to the reason why we're interested in them frankly isn't it yes freddie mercury was an interesting person but we first became interested in because of his wonderful music and uh it really doesn't. Um, it really doesn't seem to work to me. Um, someone else also said releasing the film without permission. Um, Bowie was pure genius to make a movie without about him, without his music, without his consent, and knowing himself never ever wanted a biopic movie is disrespectful. And if that is true that he didn't want one, then. I don't know. There's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? I mean, sometimes sometimes unauthorised biographies of people can be revealing on the basis that you learn things that they might not necessarily want advertised about themselves in the same way that authorised biographies of people are often really boring because you never get to the heart of really what's going on because the person involved wants, might perhaps want to pull a smoke screen across certain parts of their life or behaviour, which is why I admire Jules Holland's autobiography which I think is called something like Bareface Lies and Boogie Woogie Boasts. Um, He made a comment about the end of his first marriage, which was rather precipitated by the fact he was having a relationship with the person that went on to be his second wife. And this was discovered because they were involved in a car accident together. And that kind of revealed what was going on. And he wrote, I, I thought, a very sort of 
moving and, and, and very self-aware. It was only a few sentences, but he said something along the lines of the fact that he had not behaved very well, that his first wife had treated him far better than he had deserved to be, and it was his very great, it was to her very great credit that she emerged from that episode much increased, and actually he probably emerged from it a bit diminished, really. So so I, I admire him for that, but often official biogs on and biopics are not very honest. Um, I went to see the Motown musical, I think you remember, um, you might remember me talking about it on the podcast, which was officially sanctioned by Barry Gordy, which was excellent, and I very much enjoyed it, but Barry Gordy did come out of it as a bit of a saint when actually common yes. <laughs> common conception is that is that he is he is really not um so so i i can see the argument in a biopic being unauthorized and that you might get a more interesting story having said that i think the lack of music in the film would be what what does it in for me i think aside from the fact that you know the actor playing him looks a bit peculiar for me if there is no one's music in the film of a musician what is the point, really? Would you make a film about Van Gogh without showing him painting? Well, it, yes, ex- exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's an absurd, absurd uh, situation that they find themselves in. I mean, it, it, just to pick up on something you said there, I mean, I don't want to snip at a legend. And, you know, I love Bowie's music, of course. Mm. But and I think perhaps one of the reasons for him not wanting a biopic is that, Sadly, there are dark areas in his past Absolutely, that he would yes. not want to be remembered. And he wants to be remembered as the grinning uh, and uh, happy David Bowie, uh, you know, live aid and whatever. But I'm afraid some of his behaviour in the past does not bear uh, no. too much examination. Now, there's a trailer uh, for the new Bowie biopic. It's on YouTube. Mm. And I picked up on some of the comments added under the video, which rather um, underline what you've said. Mm. This is a travesty. He sounds and looks horrible. This guy sounds nothing like David Bowie. For the love of God, no. It looks <laughs> rancid. And I cannot handle the secondhand embarrassment. And I couldn't find one positive comment anywhere just based on mm. the trailer. Um, one immediate and dreadful error is that the movie is called Stardust and purports to uh, replicate the creation of Ziggy Stardust. Yet the poster for the movie has as its central image the Aladdin Sane lightning mm. bolt. So they've got, you know, they were obviously somebody who has got no knowledge of Bowie whatsoever and thought, oh, that'd be a good image. But, you know, yeah. it's got nothing to do with Ziggy Stardust. It has all the hallmarks of a disaster, as you say, with the Bowie estate and particularly his son blocking all attempts to use any Bowie music in the film. I love Johnny Flynn's music for The Detectorists. Mm. Yeah, it was, um, it was excellent. He's he's clearly very talented. It's, it's not it's not him that's the issue. But this looks like an ill-advised role. And um, so yes, Stardust due for official release, or perhaps actually Escape on November twenty fifth, which is the day before Thanksgiving in the states. Yeah, absolutely. Good luck to all who. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, not something I'll be spending my money that- on, but good luck to anybody who does. Coming right up, new rules for tweeting at the BBC. That's next after Screaming Jay Hawkins. I put a spell on you. Because of mine. Stop the things you do. The things you do 
time of year isn't it and actually i'm not usually a big halloween celebrant but this year it just feels like it's a fun thing to do really and i i'm I'm sorry for my friends that can't take their kids trick-or-treating but at the same time there is i've seen some impressive window displays in the last few weeks i must admit wandering around so uh, so and that is that is just spooky daft fun i could have i could have picked the nina simone version which is gorgeous but i just really like that i think it is so silly and and just it's just a really fun record that is Screaming Jay Hawkins and I put a spell on you. Of course, we're recording this on the 31st of October. We are. It is the witching hour. That's right. And it's the worst day in the year for the journalist, uh, um, British journalist, Francis Ween, because on social media, everybody starts Mm. going at him and saying, hello, Ween. Hello, oh, Terence. No, they do. It's, say, it's, it's like it's the Ed Balls Day. It's it's uh, it, oh, the poor man. man. Look at his oh. Twitter feed. You'll just see loads and loads of people saying hello, Ween. Um, oh, yeah, um, Screaming Jay Hawkins. Fasc- mm. I only know. I, I think two things about Screaming Jay Hawkins. Ooh, he was mar- <laughs> he was married six times. Wow, that is quite a lot. <laughs> and he had thirty-three children at the last count. Wow, that is a that's a bit that's a full and busy life, isn't it? Frankly. Yeah. Yes, yes. He, he, and, and by the way, they set up um, when he, when he died. They set up a, a website, I think, called Jay's Kids, because they couldn't track them all down. And they think there may oh, be more. Oh, for goodness' sake! You, oh you, man! You go to Jay's Kids to try and see if you're one of his children. Yes, Jay Hawkins. How uh, how how um yeah how how impressive in inverted commas. Yes, um, yes I do. My sympathies with the children, whoever they may be, of Jay Hawkins. Absolutely. Um, just when it seems that the BBC is sailing in calm waters and mm. could be left alone for a while. And we can stop talking about stop it, them. yeah. And they'll just leave them alone for a while. But the corporation manages one way or another to find itself at the centre of controversy. In the managerial managerial um, area, they, mm. they have an amazing history of appointing people with no experience or qualifications for senior roles. This week, James Purnell left the BBC um, he was a hopeless MP and, and minister, and he was caught up in the 2009 expenses scandal. Yes, uh, including his claim for reinf- reimbursement of some for some fridge magnets. Um, inexplicably, he was then given a job at the BBC, an enormous salary, latterly yes. the director of radio, with literally no experience in that area at all. The new director general at the BBC, Tim Davey, who previously had a career in marketing at Pepsi Cola, mm-hmm. was again inexplicably given the role of director of audio and radio with no experience or knowledge to support his recruitment into that role. Now that Tim Davey on £642,000 salary a year. Mm, is that's direct- enormous, isn't it? Absolutely crazy. He's director general now. And that's why uh, James Purnell left, because Tim Davey dropped James Purnell from the executive board. Um, they've been they, they've been told um, BBC staff um It's drawn up rules for BBC staff in terms of their use of social media, and they've been told to avoid expressing views on any policy that is a matter of current political interest and not to support campaigns. Davy said, a direct quote, if you want to be an opinionated columnist or partisan campaigner on social media, then that is a valid choice, but you should not be working for the BBC. Is he right, Jules? Well, it's interesting. This, I mean, it. It. Uh, there are parts of. So, so I'm, I'm looking at the ten don'ts that they suggested. Yes. It always makes me laugh when I look at lists of do's and don'ts because it reminds me of the Simpsons episode where Bart joins the Junior Campers Organization, largely because he gets to have a knife, I think. And when he's given a safety knife, he's given a book <laughs> of a, a guide of how to use a knife. And there's a character called Donny Don't who is there, the, the face, and he reads off the front of the pamphlet don't do what Donnie don't does to which he says they could have made this clearer so whenever I look at do's and don'ts list I always think of don't do what Donnie don't does so the things not to do right. um 
You should not do under the, uh, the hilariously, the Daily Mail have taken the same Donnie don't do what Donnie don't does approach with their headline. Things to do. Ten things staff should not do under the BBC's new social media rules. Again, could have made that clearer, but still. Um, the first three, actually, I think are quite sensible and they're quite useful guidance, actually. I, I, I find these quite insightful. Always treat others with respect, even in the face of abuse. Assume anything you say or post will be viewed critically and if you know you've got something wrong correct it quickly and openly now i think those three are rules that we could all follow actually on social media not that i'm slagging off your use but you know what i mean we could it was something (laughs) we could all consider yes next time you're rude to me on twitter (laughs) but um, you know what i mean but then i'm starting to get a little bit um i'm a bit unnerved by four Remember that your personal brand on social media is always secondary to your responsibility to the BBC. That feels very constraining to me and it feels it feels a little bit like your work becomes your job. But I suppose that the sorry, your job becomes your life, if you see what I mean. But I suppose Soviet. It does to me. I was thinking that Uh, it's there's there's something about that, though, that I find that a little bit encroaching, really. I know that the the argument that they're trying to make and the the thrust of this article is that staff are being brought into line with MPs, basically, in terms of in terms of working for what is considered to be, I suppose, a public organisation and therefore having to behave in a neutral way, as I do if I work in local government. But but you, you know what I mean? It's, it's very um, there's some. But then having said that, I mean, is this applying across the board? Because what Gary Lineker tweets, uh, whatever his, his silly, uh, silly money he's on per year, is that the same thing as someone that works in the makeup department on £18,000 a year? I don't think it is, personally, but I'm not clear from this whether the guidelines are blanket or whether they are tapered. Um, I... Um, and then it, and then it seems to get even worse, really. It seems it goes from being quite sensible to being quite, you know, number six, think about what your likes, shares, retweets, use of hashtags and who you follow say about you. I find that I find that very mm. I find that very kind of is it your business and they those are the um those are the uh those are the things um sorry these are the do's that ironically there is a typo in the Daily Mail's headline they've used <laughs> the same headline for both how am I how are you using anyway the things that you shouldn't do those are things you should do things that you shouldn't do um do not post when your judgment may be impaired don't have a drink and tweet is basically what that should that should say um uh, but then it goes from uh, never use your BBC status to seek personal gain or pursue personal campaigns. I mean, yes and no. I mean, I, yeah, don't use it to, 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 you know, pursue personal campaigns. But I mean, I, the thing that I find so frustrating about this, there's been a big thing about how you have to declare income that you make from other sources. I think there seems to be a little bit of a misunderstanding. If you are a freelancer that gets work from the BBC, then surely you are a freelancer. There doesn't seem to have been a, a, a division drawn as far as I can see, but I'm willing to be corrected if I'm wrong, um, as per Tim Davies' guidelines. Um, <laughs> I apologise quickly. Yes, and openly. I'm openly mm. willing to apologise about this, mm. but I find it a bit strange that, um, that there seems to be, it, it surely should be that if you you are a freelancer you are not a if you're not a salaried employee of the bbc then then surely you you know i find i find the the lack of division on that a bit strange i must admit um i um i i, I there, there are other that are reasonable you know do i like do not offer judgments beyond your specialism does that mean that marcus rashford shouldn't be doing his campaign does this mean that no one's allowed to take an interest in anything that they don't do because i think if we end up with a public service broadcaster with people that just parrot the line who who have a narrow that in having a narrow view on their subject then in my view have a better have a less good grasp of it because as far as you and i are concerned on this podcast in the last five years if you were to pick any topic that we've talked about we inevitably end up talking about stuff that isn't on topic because everything is connected there are there are things that that apply across the board there are you know there are there are factors that that affect each other which is what we're seeing with the situation in britain and indeed everywhere with coronavirus at the moment because we are having to balance 
people's health, people's civil liberties, people's mental health against, you know, against yeah, their physical health, the economy. There are so the arts and culture. There are so many moving parts to this. And I think that it is rather blinkered to say oh and um, don't um don't don't offer judgments be you know don't don't get out stay in your lane don't get don't get out of your don't get out of your area i find that really sort of disturbing and also of course do not support campaigns no matter how apparently worthy the course and as a friend of mine put it well Pudsey's going to be gutted because presumably they're not going to do children in need this year and you know and uh, so much for comic relief so much for the and and, you know does that mean therefore that the bbc action line is going to die a death am i going to have to watch an episode of eastenders where somebody hits somebody else without at the end a very serious voice intoning if you or anyone you know have been affected by the issues in tonight's program please call the bbc action line on 0300 and and it seems to me that that that's in direct conflict with the bbc role as a public broadcaster it feels to me if tim davy was in charge in march would the bbc have put on a pro a, a program of edu- a sort of a of educational programs to assist the, the fact that the schools were shut or was that a worthy campaign which it shouldn't get involved in well i think one of the, yes one of the weirder and um just about what you were saying they're worrying parts of this this sort of clampdown the BBC's director of policy and standards, a bloke called David Jordan, he told a meeting of BBC executives on mm-hmm. Wednesday of this week that the new rules included, um, referring to what you were just talking about, included BBC staff not attending what he described as political protests. But that oh, yes. includes Black Lives Matter and lgbt protests which is mm. very controversial and again it's totally impossible to keep checks i mean obviously many of us would disagree with that we, we, we would say that's not a political issue that's a, a moral mm. issue but um it's impossible to keep checks on bbc you know you're a bbc employee wear a mask bung on a cheap wig who's going to know if you attend a protest and well quite ridiculous. but my uh, a pal of mine i don't know terribly well, but he is a pal of mine uh benjamin butterworth has been he was the one that broke the story on this um and he he said that the bbc has pointed out that um that they uh, that new staff can go to Pride as long as they as they don't become embroiled in a contentious issues. One of which, as they as it was described to Ben in the, in the direct quote, as the trans issue. So basically, if you identify as trans trans, does that mean you can't work at the BBC? Because it's quite possible that it does, doesn't it? And 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 that in itself is discriminatory and is expressing a view and is and is putting the organization uh, you know it is it's not making it neutral is it i mean it, it does seem it seems ridiculous to me it seems and it seems also a, a, a complete misunderstanding of the different arms of pride as well really and and again it, it seems like the bbc is trying to step away from everything and like we said earlier if you don't go to these things if you don't if you're a journalist or even as just as a, as a bbc presenter you don't keep yourself and as a person you don't keep yourself abreast of what is going on in the real world around you how are you going to be well informed in order to work at a an organization which is responsible for informing other people absolutely i mean i think one of the major flaws uh other flaws in this doomed uh, yes. initiative Enterprise, is yeah. several of the most vocal highly paid people who work at the bbc gary lineker i think you mentioned is a good example they're yeah. not actually staff members they're freelancers as you yes. say on contracts who therefore they're not subject to staff rules and um but there, there, there is, um, yeah, and, and on that, of course, it's just not. It's again impossible to believe police because who is going to track every BBC staff yeah, member, quite. Facebook, Twitter, or whatever, and who is going to be able to prove whether a tweet, for example, is inside or outside the intention of these guidelines? It simply quite. won't work. But um, just one thing I, I sort of noticed during the week. Now, I like you, I'm not entirely, you know, it's never really very clear. One can look into individuals, but never very mm. clear who's actually working for the BBC as a staff member and who's a freelancer, like Lineker is a, a freelancer. But there, there is, I think, one aspect that may gain support um, amongst these bizarre measures. And that is the need from now on for BBC journalists and news presenters who are contracted by in our staff members sorry of the bbc to get 
um, gain written permission before accepting external speaking or writing engagements mm. because some senior figures are creaming in really yeah. lucrative rewards for giving speeches in yeah. what can often be controversial circumstances and those connections do require closer scrutiny I agree up, I do I agree with a that. couple this week um John Sopel, uh, Washington correspondent, yes. paid, paid speech to Philip Morris, the tobacco giant, earlier mm. this year. You know, everybody's favourite, Naga Manchetti, but she was working for Aston Martin during the lockdown, appearing in a PR video. Mm. Now, as was pointed out during the week, if a story comes up on BBC Breakfast that looks into, I don't know, let's say, for example, I'm sure this is not the case, the tax affairs of Aston Martin, how yeah. can she then be seen to be independent yes. of that no i do well, i do understand that that does that does make a level of sense mm. although they all did michelle hussein hugh edwards greg james i've got lots of examples well, i think one of the worst ones carmel ark um Ahmed, bbc news editorial mm. director um paid twelve thousand pounds earlier this year for a speech to hedge fund managers you know, that just, just doesn't feel right yeah no so, i agree i i completely agree that having said that again to make an analogy with the sort of the, the local government i mean it is possible to to have dual roles you just don't get involved in any decision making on that so maybe to take your naga manchetti point i do agree with you largely on this i i i, I think it is ridiculous but equally I think there are different. I mean, I suppose really, if she's appearing in an Aston Martin promotional video, I suppose that is less wide-reaching in its implication than Carmel Ahmed talking to hedge fund managers. Maybe, maybe it's so specific what she's done is that it would probably knock her out of talking about aston martin say for example so so maybe it is possible to recuse yourself from some things um but maybe like you say but Jules, it's not as if they're not paid absolute bundles already well, these people this, on a massive yeah, six-figure that's, salary that's a different issue i think really but yeah I, okay that, that that wasn't the point i was addressing but i mm. do i do understand well, that I mean, they so, shouldn't need to do it you know i, I would understand if they were your eighteen thousand pound a yeah. year makeup artist but if you're on a um, multiple six-figure salary and you're yes, working for the okay. bbc that should immediately um push you out of that area of doing outside work where there is even the whisper of a conflict of interest true, because true, you're already is... making bundles yeah absolutely maybe maybe that maybe you're right terence <laughs> yeah. next up streaming music it's saving the planet or is it? <laughs> Wrong. <laughs> uh, that's next after this splendid new track by the Doobie Brothers with Peter Frampton.
recorded remotely under social distancing conditions a few weeks ago. Uh, outstanding cover, I think, of a 1970s Eric Clapton track, The Doobie Brothers with Peter Frampton, Let It Rain. Thank you for picking that. I really enjoyed that. I thought it was great. Having moved towards a smooth style of music during lockdown, I very much enjoyed that. I thought it was, and it's nice that they're making new music. I, I found that quite moving, really. Doobie Brothers, due to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in November, it's only taken 50 years for them to uh, acknowledge the Doobie Brothers. Yeah, so we're talking about underappreciated bands. Mm. Uh, Patron St. Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers, yep, definitely they are underappreciated in my view. Now, we know that you, Jules, uh, prefer the traditional way to listen to music, which is uh, preferably in, in your world, to play it from vinyl, possibly mm. CDs. Yes. Well, I can't be bothered with the faffing about, <laughs> you know, I'd rather just click on a track on Spotify or YouTube or, and wish there it is. As we know, one aspect of vinyl records and especially albums that I miss is is the um, tactile experience mm, of handling mm. the record, enjoying the aroma of the cardboard sleeve, looking at the design, reading the liner, lo- liner notes, um, maybe the lyrics. Streaming can't produce that for sure. But there's one way that I retain the moral high ground, and that is in being environmentally aware because imagine all the costs of your vinyl the poor trees for the cardboard the transport costs whereas my digital music is saving the planet and you can't take that away from me jules I think I'm about to, and I'm really sorry. Oh. <laughs> um, so there's a, a, an oh. author called, uh, called Alex Ross. I know, I do sit down. There's an author called Alex Ross who's written a number of really interesting books on music, actually. One called The, the Rest is Noise, which I would particularly recommend. But uh, he wrote a piece in The New, uh, in the New Yorker uh, just, uh, reviewing or sort of describing uh, a book by someone called Kyle Devine, or Devine. I, I think it's Devine, actually, because um, the E makes it Veen, doesn't it? Um, in his recent book, Decomposed, the Political Ecology of Music, which it sounds potentially quite boring, doesn't it? But this is this is really interesting and actually quite alarming given. Um, so he says, and you probably agree with this, Terence, listening to music on the Internet feels clean, efficient yes. and environmentally it's, virtuous. Instead exactly. of accumulating a heaps of vinyl or plastic, we unpocket our sleek devices and pluck tunes from the ether. Music there you has are. been freed from the grubby realm of things. However, However, um, Kyle's book thoroughly dismantles that seductive illusion. Like everything we do on the planet, uh, streaming and downloading music requires a steady surge of energy. How are you listening to this, Terence? Um, The environmental cost of music, he says, is now greater than at any time during recorded music's previous eras. Um, Data culled from various uh, sources suggests that in 2016, street, so this is four years ago, streaming and downloading music generated about 194 million kilograms of greenhouse gas emissions, which, if you want to compare it, 40 million more than the emissions associated with all music formats in 2000. So, so if we look at the direction we're moving in, also it's, uh, he makes the good point that given the, the the coronavirus pandemic means that lots of people are streaming more, um, that's probably likely to go up in 2020. Um, if we can get past the, um, the the greenhouse gas issue, we need to think about who made your and to be fair, my iPhone that we listen to music on as well. Um, uh, exploitative regimes of labour enable the production of smartphone and computer components. Conditions at Fox Foxconn factories in China. Who would have thought uh, that, that an organisation with a name like Foxconn would have been dodgy? But anyway, have long been notorious. Recent reports suggest that the brutally um, abused, um, I never know how to pronounce this, you can teach me something. It's the thing that's spelled U I G H U R. Oh, yeah. Yes, I think so. Yes, the, the um, Muslim minority in yes. China. Yeah. My apologies for not being able to pronounce that. It's been pressed into the pronu- uh, production of Apple devices. Child labourers involved in the mining of cobalt, which is used in iPhone batteries. Spotify, the dominant streaming service, needs huge quantities of energy to power its servers. Just think, where is all this music stored, Terence? It's 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 servers, isn't it? It's it's just because it's not being stored in your house doesn't mean it isn't being stored somewhere. There's always a cost, isn't there? There's always a there's always a bottom line. Um, no less problematic 
are the uh when of course we've talked about this previously spotify paying people like beyonce seven pounds for their streaming that is in itself exploitative there is a cost there's no cost to us or there's minimal cost to us in streaming because spotify there's a very high cost to musicians it would seem um it's um it's it's the idea that um that it's just the idea that that you know that, that that it all just happens doesn't it it's very tempting to think and i think that you know without getting all young people today that that there are that you know that we with the younger people that do have these these sort of things at their disposal there is this feeling i think which bleeds into other aspects of their life that everything just happens that that you know because you've got a smartphone that you can find anything on everything just happens everything is just magicked into being and and it is just here and now and there's there's very little thought given to the processes behind this and it is very easy and i, I might fall into this trap too so this is not a not a a, a rant at you terence but it's mm. very easy for all of us i think to to uh, to just see the ease at which we can sit at our computer put our headphones on you know plug it in boot up Spotify and just listen to all this music. But it may be very easy for us, but the cost is being paid by someone else and possibly by us all in terms of the environment. So so for all that, I mean, it, it feels like we can't do anything without making a, an impact on the earth. And that's why I like the idea of the carbon footprint as a concept, actually, because it's not saying, to me, it's not saying don't ever do anything what it's saying is whatever you do will leave a footprint will leave an impact just think of a way of minimizing their impact so actually oddly given those statistics turns out that buying more stuff might actually be a be have be a less impactful way of proceeding of listening to music than listening to spotify i mean it, it does feel like whatever we do is going to have an impact but it's just it is surprising i was really surprised i hadn't really thought it through in that level of detail of of just how how much of an impact the internet has on the world you'd think it's just you know everything moves you know through through magic in the air now doesn't it through 3g and 4g and 5g and that sort of thing but it's you know that there's a cost somewhere else well of course you're right and we throw out comments like oh it's stored in the cloud but of course there is no cloud it's stored on servers as you say hard hard wide with cables using up enormous reserves of energy which I think we digital people tend to forget about. And one thing that pops See, up. I love in... the idea of you being a digital person. I'm an <laughs> analog child. You're a digital person. <laughs> yes, Tell me more, Terence, about your crazy world of digital people. Well, well, one thing I, I really um, am con- you know, quite disturbed about in this area is the news stories that come up every few years. And you mentioned it there. It seems to come up and go away again. It's a shameful way uh, the technology to produce digital is undertaken and uh, any search for apple and child labor brings up some pretty grim stories it does especially as you said in conjunction with the mines you use to produce batteries and all the big tech companies take the line that they're not responsible for what goes on in um, the democratic republic of congo Mm. or wherever and of course we all then go on um, charging our iphones and laptops and um, carry on regardless so there's an added human cost uh, to that of the harm to the environment but I think it's rather like um, a KFC customer not wanting to visit a shed of chickens we all look the other way yeah exactly it's the sausage factory isn't it yeah. no one wants to be seeing seeing them made yet we're all happy to uh, we're all happy to eat them aren't we so so yeah it is difficult it just shows that we're all hypocrites when it comes down to it i guess but um but certainly this has made me this has made me think a little bit differently about it and actually i've i don't use spotify anywhere near as much i, I use apple music sometimes but i don't use spotify anywhere near as much as i used to and actually interesting for me it was the the payment of musicians issue that kind of did it in for me really and also i was very amused by it went down it was it was offline for ages a little while ago and lots of people panicking and someone made a comment on twitter that i saw lots of people retweeting this is what happens when you rent music rather than buy it and that made it that made a huge that made a huge impact on me actually it really made me think in a way that it hadn't before but yes it turns out that with all my dead trees in my house i may be more environmentally friendly than thou (laughs) yes i'm gonna have to go and uh get all my vinyl back out again and rethink my whole musical lifestyle indeed and mock me less when it comes down to it too 
<laughs> on that uplifting note um, yes on that on that note of unity yeah <laughs> um thanks for joining us this week we really yeah, do appreciate really. you being yeah here. absolutely thank you but thank you for having uh, for having us along with you um when you're when you're not poised at your front door waiting to see if the postman brings you that invitation from victoria derbyshire <laughs> for lunch yes uh, will you will you be delighting us with your delicious radio shows i will i will this weekend and because it is halloween and to cheer people up a little bit i am doing a halloween spooky special on uh, this evening yes indeed thank you i will be hiring you for sound effects um and that is uh from seven till ten this evening saturday the 31st of october um i'll tweet about it and put it on my social media but um but yeah and that is no particular genre of music it's anything that has a halloween type theme although i have to say quite a lot of it is quite twangy it has to be said but there is there is a halloween thing and then we'll be uh blowing away the cobwebs and and you know painting everything neutral colors instead of black and orange again on sunday evening uh, for smooth sailing from 7 till 9 p.m uh, you can hear both of these shows on my mixer channel which is mixlr.com and uh, and then you you can search my name on there juliet harris and that's that's where you can listen and if you'd like to that would be really nice to have you along and to play us out the francis ween no, no, the halloween um link continues uh, indeed, yes, I am. Um, I couldn't resist the Halloween tunes this week, and also I, I do like to make you happy, Terence. And I know that you that you know your Kate Bush. She's Kate to some Bush. extent my Kate Bush, but she's really very much yes. your Kate Bush. Um, is um is is you know it's it's very um. It's, it's 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 this is such a spooky spooky song it's, it's she's so atmospheric that's what i'm trying to say she's so atmospheric kate bush she's she's got a real kind of um she has got a real spookiness about her um she gets parodied yeah, she i think for that yeah, but does. but i think going beyond that kind of you know going beyond the sort of wuthering heights thing a lot of her songs i think have a lot of spooky depth in them and uh, this is obviously very obviously doing a halloween thing but i love this and i think that that she is one of the artists that is really best suited to do this i think that she's that she's really got kind of a voice and a vibe that lends herself to this and i just this is a delight i really love this this is kate bush and hammer horror
You've been listening to a Parish Council production.